my weeks are always kind of crazy, uh, being that uh, I'm a father of five now. We've got a couple extra kids in the house for a little while. Uh, I usually try to escape to uh, a Woods Coffee every now and again, um, a couple times a week, and try to get some work done. Now, for me specifically, um, whether or not that is productive is always of question. Uh, oftentimes, well, not often, not often enough, but sometimes I run into my friend Glenn if I'm over at Barkley, or if I go to the one off of uh, Bakerview, I might run into another pastor. But it's a general consensus that you can go to a Woods Coffee if you need prayer and just raise your hand and be like, is there a pastor here that will pray for me? Chances are you're going to find one. Um, and so, but the other week, two couple weeks ago, I was in there, and I probably had some sort of Jesus t-shirt on, as that's kind of my slogan, and my mercy hat. And I was sitting there, and this younger college-aged kid, uh, guy, uh, kind of walked up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, are you a youth pastor? And he didn't know how great of a compliment that was for a, uh, a balding, tired father of five uh, who was sitting there working on his, his uh, Timothy sermon for the week. Um, and and it, it, I had like a quad shot caramel macchiato because I was dragging a little bit. Uh, and his reaction probably threw him, my reaction kind of threw him off because I definitely in that moment perked up like, oh, this is amazing. Way more than my coffee was affecting my attitude. Uh, and I instantly grabbed my phone and I brought it out. Oh, I left my phone over there. And I, and I texted Heather, I still got it. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And I said it out loud like that, and he just laughed. And then he realized how great of a compliment that was um, for, for me in that moment. And, uh, but the, the, the coffee shop experience I want to share with you this morning is one that just happened this week. And it was a way that God really... Uh, two different ways. He, he showed off in the idea of what I was taught, what we're going to be talking about this week, but he also just kind of gave me, it was like Tuesday morning, he just gave me a big hello. Like I was sitting there in the coffee shop and, and, and God just said, you know what, I'm here. I'm going to let you know that I am here. Um, this is a picture of my new friend. Um, this is Elizabeth with an S. That's the way she introduced herself. My, well, after we got to know each other. But Elizabeth with an S, I'm sitting there working on my sermon, and Elizabeth with an S uh, kind of moseyed over to me with her computer in hand, and she looked at me and she said, Christian? And I was like, no, it's Jason, but uh, that worked, no. Uh, and she had saw my shirt that said worship on it, and uh, she says, Christian? And I was like, Yeah. And she says, will you help me? And I was like, uh-oh, it's not going to be a productive day. Instantly, I knew in that moment it wasn't going to be a productive day. Um, but she, she sets her computer down in front of me, and she, I, you know, this is how I know that it's like still the effects of COVID are going on, because she sets her computer down next to me, and then she just, there wasn't a lot of room there, and she just sat down right next to me. And uh, it turns out Elizabeth with an S was from Canada, in that she was trying to schedule a COVID test so that she could make it back across the border. Her, uh, she had her RV here in Bellingham, and she needed that negative test to get back across the border. And uh, for no short of, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes, we worked through uh, a link that she had, but also uh, the, the, the navigating the airport website and, uh, and trying to figure that out with her key code that she had. We ended up just calling the person, and then she didn't speak great English, 
but um, communicating last names and credit card numbers and all this kind of stuff. She was pretty trustworthy of me. Uh, but uh, I, walked, uh, I walked her through signing up for this COVID test. Now, in this picture, you see these flyers that I, these little, you can call them, you know, old school in the 90s, late 80s, they were Jesus tracks. Um, but uh, after I got her signed up for the, um, for the COVID test, she uh, took it upon herself to walk me through the gospel of Jesus Christ. She uh, began to share with me that the gospel, about the gospel of grace and who Jesus was, and she first handed me this salvation packet. And she, uh, she, wanted, to know, she wanted to know what I believed, and, and I was agreeing with her. And then she, she walked me through this one, the mystery of the gospel. And then she asked, well, do we have any people that speak Spanish? In our? And about that time, I let her know. I was like, well, so I passed her the church that, uh, that, that I attend. And she was like, oh, oh. And then she started handing me just a bunch of them to give to you guys after church. So, um, But then she gave me some Spanish-speaking ones. And this is foreshadowing maybe the hope of a mission trips for us. And there's already some talks of a mission trip for us in Mexico next summer. So, um, but this was just great because she just literally desired nothing more for me to un than for me to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way that she knew it for herself to be true. And it was just so uh, a breath of fresh air for me. Like it was just like even though I had plenty that I knew I needed to get done. Uh, I was so thankful for the break in that moment to sit with uh, Elizabeth with an S <laughs> and hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it meant for her. And I was just so encouraged all week that I was just really excited to share with you uh, that story. And now as we continue our book of Timothy, the study on the book of Timothy, uh, we get to chapter 5 where last week I introduced this idea of valuing uh, the older people around us. I, we were talking about youth and talking about other stuff, but then I also brought up the idea of where did we miss the mark as far as when it comes to valuing our elders? You know, respect your, respect your elder, whatever it may be, uh, because in the Bible, it clearly maps out in, 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 in numerous ways uh, the wealth of wisdom and knowledge and experience and understanding that I think even nowadays we've lost that a little bit. That we think, and I will even put myself in the shoes of a, or the younger generation, think that the older, like my parents, I love my parents, uh, that my parents obviously don't know it the way I know it because I've got it all figured out and my middle schoolers and high schoolers think that about me and it's just kind of how it works. But, uh, but definitely in this book of Timothy, at the start of chapter 5, we get a glimpse into valuing our elders to respect our elders and, and allow them the space in our lives to, uh, to bring value and to bring meaning and purpose uh, with us. And I thought it was just crazy that God gave me the opportunity to sit with, I think she was 83 years old, Elizabeth with an S, this week as just a break in my week to just hear from somebody who, you know, almost double my age, uh, shared the gospel of Jesus with me. Uh, so to start off chapter 5, um, we get into what we built on the value of all people. So the overarching theme of the books of Timothy is God values all people. 
And there's another spot this week where we're going to talk about, like we have every week, the shamefulness of a scripture verse in the chapter that actually we use to devalue people, uh, but God actually wants it for value. But the overarching theme of the book is God values all people in the relational aspect of looking at Timothy and Paul and their relationship, and then ultimately tying that back to our relationship with Jesus, which is this idea that none shall perish Scripture tells us, or in chapter 2 of this book, we looked at the prayer and intercession and supplication for all, that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all, it said in chapter 2, for all people, and that value uh, echoes throughout the book. But chapter 5 starts off with practical instruction for Timothy. Now, you got to remember, it's practical instruction in that it is where Timothy was going on his call for ministry, and Paul writing him a letter to instruct him on how to do that on how to live out that call and ministry uh, for him. And so chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. This is some instruction for us, again, instruction for Timothy, too, uh, of what he was facing when he was headed back to Ephesus. So they had traveled there, they had visited there, they were moved on from there, and Paul said, you know what, I'm gonna, they need you, Timothy, to go back to Ephesus uh, and again establish this church, uh, this church of Christ, this new way, and uh, in, in, in overarchingly we've been talking about this idea of family, this idea of God's family, the church being family, but also caring for family. And specifically, it says here, older men are to be treated as fathers and, and older women as mothers. And if you remember, if you know the scripture verse in Ephesians 6, it says, honor your father and mother, of which is the first commandment with a promise. So we're honoring our, our mothers and our fathers anyways. And then we get this verse from Timothy that says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all Purity. And for me, I got hung up on that idea of rebuke. Because I don't know about you, but that's not a normal word I use every day. Like, I rebuke you. Uh, it's, it's kind of a Christian word. Uh, I know it's used outside of, uh, of the Christian ease type language. But for me, it was kind of a Christian word that I just needed to understand. Um, and you've probably heard the word before, um, but uh, there are numerous times in the Bible, Jesus rebukes Peter, 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 Jesus rebukes Peter, I don't know who Peter is, that's a, like a, a mineral, right? Anyways, um, Jesus rebukes Peter, and then in Luke 17, it says, if a, if a brother sins, rebuke him. Later in this chapter, it actually says that we are to rebuke those that continue in sin. And, and what kind of got me hung up as I went and did the, you know, the click on my uh, Faith Life Logos Bible software and loaded up all of the, like, w different times rebuke is used. Rebuke in the New Testament is used 30-ish times based on whatever translation you're looking at, but uh, in that, of those 30 times, and this is action, like as an action, of those 30 times, all but two of them, Jesus is the one doing the rebuking. He is the one doing the rebuking. It's not like, 
you know, other people are rebuking each other. And so uh, what, what, uh, what I wanted to look at in that is just to say, because oftentimes we're quick to call other people out, you know, like plank in my eye, sliver, whatever, but uh, we're oftentimes willing to call people out on things. And I want to caution us as the church, as believers, as followers of Christ, that if we are to do that, we better be including Christ in that. We better be including his spirit that is active in us, that it should be nothing out of our own making or uh, thinking or understanding that is, it is only of led through Christ. And that's, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, 97% of the time if you break down 32, I don't know, I don't do math like that, but Jesus is involved when it comes to rebuking people. It's not something we just do personally. Um, all right, that being said, uh, now, the intentionality, I love the intentionality of what I get when I click on that software. I didn't study Greek in college or anything, but I love the intentionality of the language that's written in the Bible because you can see that rebuke is actually, there's like 13 different meanings for the word rebuke that we have in our normal NIV Bible, post-85 Bible. Um, it, but this one specifically is actually only used one time. And it's this time. And it's this idea of, um, uh, and I'm going to just mess it up, epiplaso. Uh, epiplaso is the Greek word for this. And it's mean to not target somebody specifically. To not strike somebody. To not, uh, and that's what it says, harshly. Don't, don't harshly rebuke an older man. It's to, and, then, and then just after that it says to exhort him. To give him, to, to bring value to that. Um, and to encourage and see the value in who he is. Uh, and this is part of this old idea of respecting your elders that you probably were told as a child. I don't know that we tell our kids at that as much as we should these days, but this is the idea where it kind of came from, this respecting your elders. Uh, and we look at this further, look at this idea of rebuke uh, in Titus 2.15. It says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority don't let anybody despise, or don't let anyone despise you. Again, uh, if we know in Matthew 28, who was all authority given to? Christ, right? All authority has been given to me, and so if we are rebuking again, uh, we allow him to do that, Christ to do that. Uh, and, and, and then in this verse specifically, um, in Timothy 5, it says, don't rebuke the older man harshly, but exhort him as he were your father. Um, and if you think about it, this is, this is young Timothy, young pastor, uh, kind of on his first, like, run by himself, uh, empowered by Paul through the Spirit for his first calling in his life. And you got to think that all throughout this trip, going back to Ephesus and hanging out in Ephesus, that he probably was leading older women. In ministry, he was leading and pastoring over older men in this ministry. Is pastoring, pastoring alongside, so he was uh, he was probably mothered by some of these women in the church. He was probably fathered by some of these older men in the church. He was probably alongside other youngers who, you know, would be his brother or a sister uh, if it was a younger woman. And I I love that uh, it actually expounds on that idea of a younger woman as a sister who is. Uh, who, um, uh, with absolute purity. So Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, 
young, young stud. Like, don't go down there and disrespect younger girls in your ministry call. Like, give them value as well. Um, and we see this. And then we see what comes in verse 3. And for us in verse 3 starts uh, what is, for at least this chapter, uh, a section that seems to be focused on widows, on the, the uh, care and treating of widows. And now uh, I, I want to tell you that, uh, that there is a special spot, uh, and this is just part of what the Bible says, but there is a special spot in God's heart for widows. Overwhelmingly throughout Scripture, he focuses on the caring for and in, in, in serving and coming alongside widows numerous times in Scripture. There's a special place for God's care and compassion towards widows. And it starts there in chapter 3. It's reinforced in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10.18 where it says, uh, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves a foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Uh, if you remember in Luke chapter 7, Jesus uh, goes to uh, Nain, and he, uh, the, the widow who had lost her husband was losing her son, and Jesus brings the son back to life for that widow in that moment and cares for him. Uh, Psalm 68 verse 4 says, Sing to God, sing praises in his name. Uh, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, uh, is the God in the holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, God's family and other families, and he leads out the prisoners with singing, uh, but the rebellious live in the sun-scorched land. Uh, and almost a quarter of the verses in chapter 5, specifically what we're looking at today, almost a quarter of the verses, a fifth of the verses, are in relation to widows and the care and compassion for widows. And we're going to get into, well, how, do, what, how, does that affect, how does that affect us? How does that speak to us then? Um, but I, I want to say that there are widows amongst us in this con congregation. There are widows that we have cared for in our community as a church. And so we, we are doing some of that work that Christ has called us to do here in this scripture. But I think there's something for all of us in here. Uh, but he's making it clear that God truly has a heart for the widow. Uh, but I think we get a clear depiction of this idea of God's heart for us. And that starts in chapter or chapter 5, verse 3, where it says, Honor widows who are truly widows. And I was thinking, well, I mean, the def what's the definition of a widow? The definition of a widow is someone who has lost their husband, right? So, why would Paul write, Honor widows who are truly widows? And so I dug down this rabbit hole of like, teaching and learning and be like, why would he say widows who are truly widows? Widows are widows, and there really isn't a second kind of widow, is there? And so using the sentence structure and the language that Paul was using, Paul uh, has this definition. He defines widow uh, in, in this text specifically as something that is even more than what we would do as the traditional definition of what a widow is, a truly someone who's a widow. But the wording here in the sentence structure leads us to believe that Paul, uh, he, what he's extrapolating here is that it is a, a direct instruction to care for someone who can't care for themselves. So uh, he would go on to explain later on in the chapter clear guidance on 
uh, on, uh, you know, how to care for certain widows within the church and, and those that are even outside of the church. But what God is saying here, and what I feel Paul was writing in here, he was, and he was saying it's in line with um, this idea of, uh, of the meta-theme of the Bible, and the meta-theme of what God has is for us to care for all people, for us to love all people, uh, is this idea of getting a glimpse of God's heart as an entirety before we just write off a section of Scripture in chapter 5 about caring for widows, whether you know one or not, or, or whether you're actively involved in that or not. Uh, because it's this idea of hanging ourselves, hanging it all on ourselves, all of you know, ministry or whatever theme we have in our, in our life on one scripture verse, right? So uh, one thing that Elizabeth with S shared with me was the uh, insufficientness of John 3.16. So John 3.16, if you've heard it, you've seen it on a field goal that's made in the NFL or not made in the NFL. It says, So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like, if there's a scripture I'm going to hang my life on, that's what it's going to be. I'm going to, like, I'm going to own that one, right? But Elizabeth with an S went on to tell me how insufficient that scripture alone is for us to really hang on to. Because it doesn't have in it, within it, in itself, uh, it doesn't talk about grace, which was a really big thing for Elizabeth with an S. I just keep saying it that way. Uh, forgiveness isn't in that verse, right? For us. Uh, the defeating of the grave isn't in that verse, right? In the true meaning of what Christ did is an entirety work. His, his life here, I mean, Jesus spoke these words before he had went to the cross. But the entirety of Christ's work uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a story of Jesus' ministry here on earth, his work on the cross, his work defeating the grave, and then his work through the Spirit. And so we take the entirety of the Bible and we weigh it up against what God desires for us. And so, all that to be said, widows who are truly widows, I really believe what God is saying to us is care for those who are unable to care for themselves. And that is what we are called to do as the church, as part of what God is calling for us to do. And we get this amazing picture of God points back to his care for all people through people through us through you and me and, and and those that are around us right in the way of doing things um but but it gets a little tricky it gets a little tricky in chapter five because he what i think uh maps out a way to do that for the church and a way we should do it individually where you sit because here's the deal and i'll get into this more you are the church but in chapter 5, verse 4, it says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household to make uh, some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. This is God's way of saying, take care of your own, your own family, those that are around you, those that you didn't choose, right? Right? That's the one thing we can't choose our family. We get to choose who we go to church with, but we don't get to choose our family, if you've heard that before, right? That's what makes Thanksgiving and Christmas awkward sometimes. But, um, but God's saying, and, and this specific saying, it's actually saying kids. Kids who have older parents, uh, take care of your parents. They took care of you. They changed your diapers. And, they, and so he's given us some instruction with this. 
If there is a, if there is a, a family present, the, shirt, the, the church should let the family care for the widow, should instruct the family, should raise the family up to care in that scenario for their own as well. And I think, okay, I get that. I do, and I think that's a great idea, but uh, man, I still wrestle with the idea of, man, shouldn't the church just come in and help? Verse 16, uh, again, echoing this idea of family that's written throughout this book. If any woman, uh, woman who is a believer has a widow in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need, the widows who are really widows, right? And, 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 and I want to say this two ways to you guys this morning. One, I want to just echo this idea that I just uttered. You are the church. This isn't the church. I am not, well, I'm part of, but I am not the church. What we do on a Sunday morning or what we even do in our programming, like the programming of our groups and uh, the meeting and organization of everything and all that, I mean, that is not, that is part of the church. But you are the church. And so as the church, you get the opportunity to look in on God's commands and figure out the life that he's calling you to in allowing you to then live that life out and care for people the way that he's leading you to care for people. And then there's this. This is the second way to look at it. As followers of Jesus, as those that have placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, right, we, uh, we have the duty to be the hope that the world needs. The, the displayed hope uh, 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 that the world needs to see, and specifically the hope that each one of our families needs to see. I say that because I'm no different than any of you, and when it comes to dealing with families, sometimes it's not easy, right? But God's command clearly throughout Scripture is for us to display the hope for those in it, for those that are even the closest to us that maybe even get a glimpse of the worst of us. But, uh, but specifically here, it's saying care for your family. Live a life, build a life uh, around Christ that then displays the hope in your ability to serve and be that hope for the people. And Paul has a list actually of that time, because at that time, there wasn't this social structure we have today where you can sign up for a program by the government, and this was that program. Like, this was how it was written out for people to uh, experience that. Uh, and then now, for us, comes the verse that is every single week we got one of these bombs that gets dropped, whether it's women in ministry or youth and, and today we get this, this verse that we've often attached to some shame in our lives, and uh, in, in the lives around us, but we get to see, I'm hopeful we get to see the spin on it and what God has for us. And it's uh, 1 Timothy uh, 5.8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. Whew, that is harsh, right? Anyone who has not provided for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's like one I want to get my crafting scissors out and like cut that verse out of the Bible and like just set it aside. Like, be like, there's, there's, like, there's a good handful of them on there and that's just me, my way of saying those are the ones that God's like really bringing to my attention to work on. But, um, but, but in this verse, this is a harsh. But see, there's a clear objective uh, in, in this and that's to care for and provide for your family. Now, uh, the shame that is attached to anyone who doesn't provide their, for their family is worse than an unbeliever is, is, is real and is actually uh, a, a, a very real thing. I have uh, 10 years we've had the church going uh, here in, in Sudden Valley, and I have walked with numerous, mostly men, who, uh, who were out of work for a period of time, for a, a, an extended period of time a lot of the time and I tell you what not directly like I didn't quote the scripture Adam but not directly those men oftentimes in most cases felt the shame of not providing for their family whether they knew this verse or not I mean it's a clear scriptural value for men to provide for their families or even why like the adults of the household to provide for their families and when you don't you feel the weight of that, right? If you've ever been in that position where you don't have enough or you don't feel like you're living up to the standard, which is normally what we just cast on ourselves, like we don't feel like we're living up, you know the shame and the ridicule and the weight of that. Um, and so much so that's, but, but here's the, here's the, the, the pin of that verse. It says, it says uh, especially for their own household, uh, so those, okay, I'll just read it from the beginning. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith. And that's what struck me this week, because what we can do, what we can often do, is, um, is, is attach the shame of not being able to provide, rather than looking at God's design for us. So I want to tell you something this morning, and I know I've said it before, but I really... I really wanted to sink in this morning. Um, our God is not a God of shame. Our God has not written truth in the Bible for us to live by so that you feel shame. Our God is not a God of shame. He did not write this verse in 1 Timothy to shame and place judgment and sling guilt and damn anyone to uh, worse than an unbeliever so that you would feel the shame of that in your life. That is not why this scripture is written in here. But I feel it's all too easy for us to get there relatively fast when we feel like we're not able to provide or we're not living up to a certain standard. 
Uh, I've observed it in many cases. I didn't even ask permission to share this, but my friend who's sitting in the back row, Charles Ramsell, walked through this in an amazing way as he spent a season with us as he was unemployed. Do I have permission to share? It's too late. I've already shared it. Um, But to watch him walk through and say, God's got this. And I was like, really? Yep. You know, how can, what can we do? Uh, You know, God's got this. I'm even getting goosebumps thinking about it because just, just to be in his presence as he walked through that period of time and now a period of, 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 of plenty as God is providing. Um, but, but that's the essence of that scripture. The essence of that scripture isn't shame. It's knowing God's creation, what he created you to do, how he created you to do it, and then trusting in that. It's stepping into that and being like, you know what? This is, it is God's design for me to provide for my family. I'm going to continue to trust that. I'm not going to allow it to whittle me down and wallow me down to the pits and not be able to, to live and even not even desire to go out and do the work that, of stepping into what God's design for me has been. And that's that idea of denied the faith. Oftentimes we can deny the faith when we're in that moment of whatever it may be that we're facing, when really we need to embrace the promise and truth of it and step into, no, it's, it's God's design. He's going to provide. He says it clearly in Scripture. I will provide. How much more can we trust God and simply understand his promises and his plan for us and his care for us when it comes to what he's clearly said is, is, is his design for us in the household, both individually and as the family of God. That being not only the care for his household, but, uh, but, but the ability to care for those in our immediate family. Like, I want, amen, hallelujah, sweet Jesus, I can trust you with that in my life. As followers of Jesus, we must display the mission and the hope of living out this idea of compassion that God desires for us, right? And I understand that God uh, might include those that, uh, that, uh, the, those that are able to then care for widows and, and younger and older, and he leads us into uh, doing that. And Paul, in this book, gives us the warning uh, of those who go, uh, go house to house. He says those that go house to house just knocking on doors. And I believe that what Paul is doing as he's mapping out, if you read through all of Timothy 5, and you'll get this, he's mapping out for us the ability to care for people well as a church, but also in our individual families, right? Um, and Paul's mapping out some guidance for this young pastor in his position. Now, uh, and how this ought to work. Now, that starts with this idea for us for the month of March in this, uh, this focus on missions march. Uh, in one way we care for and even come alongside, uh, you know, families with, uh, with uh, husbands and or wives or providers that have been out of work for a while or people that have just fallen on some hard times. Uh, 
and specifically in our community, we've come alongside people who have had houses burned down or, or cars that need work or uh, tires or a car in general. Like, we come alongside because God has led us into that. And that CTK blessing fund that I talked about uh, that I just introduced at the beginning of the service during the announcements is our ability to, as God's family, as the church, to care for those that are around us. And so uh, I, I am incredibly confident with our ability to do that, our ability to come alongside people and help them, whoever that may be, uh, whether it be uh, specifically widows in need or, or uh, elderly couples, families, uh, people both that are within this church, and even more so uh, being kind of a, a gifting of an evangelist, the people outside of our church, uh, the ability to, which is different in, in many cases. Uh, you know, if the network of CTK was to give to uh, everybody who knocked on the church's door, we, would, we wouldn't have buildings anymore, you know? But for us, because of the environment that we have created here at CTK Sudden Valley, and because of uh, the, the, the last few years of us giving to the CTK blessing, we haven't had to say no to anybody. Now, we, we've, we, and I want to say this to you in a, in a way, we've built a system that allows us to care for people well and that we build relationships with those that even come and ask of us as a church within the community. And we've established ourselves in this community specifically through your guys' work to be able to have those uh, long-standing uh, relationships. And because here's the deal, church, I want to I share with you this. Our number one avenue to meeting the needs of our community inside the church and our community outside of the church comes from you. It doesn't come from me. It comes relationally from you guys. Because here's the deal. We're not set up with an office and a front door for people to knock on and say, hey, CTK Sudden Valley. And for some reason, people find me ultra intimidating as a pastor to come and ask. But through you guys and the identifying of the idea of the culture we build as neighbors of neighbors and relationally connected in the communities of which God has specifically placed us in with reason, we have been able to uh, care for those that are around us. First and foremost, relationally, which is actually just as important as, as uh, monetary, uh, relationally connecting, but through our relationship, relational connections, we've been able to meet the needs of neighbors who have needs. And that works like, uh, you know, so-and-so comes to me and says, hey, my neighbor, they've fallen on hard times, they've struggled, and I say, well, what do you know about them? You know? Oh, okay. And then we have a, we have a blessings application that we can introduce that allows us to come alongside them and aid them. We have resources built into our community like financial peace and things like that to get people on the right track. But we have, through our CTK blessing, the monetary ability to come alongside people who are in uh, need. And that's because of the effectiveness and the environment that we've created, the culture we have created as being a church that cares about our community, that is actively involved and cares for our uh, our community. And so I want for us this morning to, uh, to continue to press into uh, this clearly stated call in uh, 1 Timothy 
chapter 5 of the uh, gospel and the uh, hope that is found in compassion in caring for people. The start of the chapter with our elders, um, as well as what's written in amongst the scripture about caring for widows and those that are truly in need within our uh, community. And so my question for you is, can we be, can we be confident in God's plan for us uh, in, in the ministry to those that are around us who need the hope of Jesus? Can we press more into the confidence and knowing that God has a plan in that for us to care? Those that need assistance, those that are uh, unable to care for themselves, those that are within our families, those that are within our family, the church, and those that are uh, within our community, or what I like to call our sphere of influence. The ones that God has specifically placed in our lives to relationally connect from, connect with, and to come alongside as he leads us in the compassion that is clearly written in this book for caring for uh, God's people. That God's best laid plan is for us to give our lives, give our lives and live our lives in such a way that we would uh, be able to give our lives away to care for those that are around us. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to invite the band to come up and lead us in worship, and I'm going to pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your truth in Scripture, Lord. We thank you that your words, your truth, actually give us a clearer picture of the calling that you have on our lives. Lord, I thank you that, uh, that you have put us in a position as followers of you, those that have placed our faith, hope, and trust in you, Lord, that you, have, uh, that you call us to live a life of compassion to those that are around us, Lord. Lord, so I pray for our ability to, uh, to go from here, um, Lord, centered and focused on who you are and the truth of who you call us to be, but that you desire for us to live a life fully entrenched and entangled with you so that we may give that away for those that are around us, Lord. To care for people specifically, I pray for our ability to care for people relationally. Lord, that we connect with them in such a way that breaks down any barriers, any cliques, any, uh, any ideas of the church, any ideas of, of uh, our motive, Lord, but that it is simply rooted in you, relationally. Lord, and then I do pray for our ability as the church to come alongside those of us, those that are around us that, are, that have monetary needs, Lord. Lord, may they feel uh, the hope and the ability to come forward and say, you know what? I could use a hand, Lord. And may we be willing to see and identify that and come alongside them, Lord, as individuals and as a church, Lord. Lord, so will you lead us and direct us in, in, the, in, in the way you would desire us to go, Lord? I thank you for the hope and the compassion that is written in the gospel and I pray for my friend Elizabeth with an S that she would have a glorious day today uh, as you be with her where she's at, Lord. We pray this in your name.
Amen. Amen.